0: Hey, it's good to see you this weekend and glad that you're joining us. Happy 4th of July weekend and hopefully you have had a good weekend celebrating. Uh, What a privilege for us to live in a free country and so hopefully you had a good time with friends, family together in this most unusual of years. Uh, The whole idea that we get to celebrate our freedom makes me think about the fact that I spent about five or six years of my life spending a lot of time uh, with people who didn't have freedom uh here's what i mean by that i spent a lot of time in jail some of you might not know that right but i spent a lot of time in jail uh, i would go every week to the Cosyasco county jail in warsaw indiana and i would spend time with inmates uh, i loved it i loved the opportunity I would play basketball i got to know their stories got to share with them the story of god and man do i have a lot of stories right a lot of interesting stories happened as a result of that some funny stories some not so funny stories. Here's what I can tell you. There's nothing quite like the sound of that door closing behind you when you walk in to the prison. I don't know if you've ever been in a jail or prison, but they kind of open the door for you and then they close and it like clicks, like it buzzes and then it clicks. And it just echoes that your freedom is restricted. And I can tell you, in in jail, there's a whole subculture, right? A lot of people who spend their time in jail, they're tortured by their loss of freedom. Some of them become angry. Some of them become cynical, bitter. Some of them full of resentment. Some of them just sit there and they just maintain their innocence. Others of them can't figure out how they got caught. For some of them, it becomes very defining. It becomes defining for them while they're in there. They are an inmate. But for some, it becomes defining for the rest of their life. While they're in there, they're an inmate. After they leave there, they're an ex-con. For some of them, they literally just kind of assimilate to the subculture. They get so used to living in there that I had some friends that I made in there, they could not figure out how to live on the outside. And so they just kept ending up back in jail. Others, it just about drives them crazy to live in those restrictions. I can tell you this, ministry to people behind bars is unique. Uh, It's very heartbreaking, and it can be uh, very challenging. Uh, After I spent those five or six years, I went to plant a church in a little town about 20 miles from there. And all of a sudden, I can tell you, I moved from ministry to people behind bars to... I was going to start ministry to people who were free in a free country and who weren't behind bars. And it didn't take me long as a pastor to realize didn't take me long that I thought my years of working with people behind bars was gone, only to realize that most people that I would work with were living behind bars. You just couldn't see them. They were prisons that were not visible per se, but nonetheless, there were a lot of people, I would say most people lived behind a prison of sorts. And the prison in their life began to be erected when somebody close to them hurt them. Somebody they trusted betrayed them. Somebody in their family did the unspeakable to them. When the lie was found out, all of a sudden the prison walls began to erect in their life. For some of you, I know I'm talking to you this weekend. For some of you, you're living behind prison bars, so to speak. You're living behind prison bars and those prison walls are defining you. For some of you, it's driving you crazy. For some of you, you just have gotten so used to living there. You just, now that's just part of your life. For most of you, the prison that you're living behind because of the hurt in your life, it defines who you are. It has changed who you are. You're not different. You're angry now. Your family recognizes it. For others of you, you've become cynical and nobody can get close. For some of you, you quit singing. You've lost all the joy in life. For some of you, it's made you harsh and critical and you've developed a negative spirit. And for some of you, it's just where you feel most at home, living behind the bars of your anger and your bitterness and your resentment. Nonetheless, you're in a prison and you, this 4th of July weekend, are not free you can feel the restrictions and the confines that this particular prison places on you. Every time you see that person who hurts you, it reminds you. Or maybe when you see someone who reminds you of that person, for some of you, you hate all men because you were hurt by a man. For some of you, you disrespect all authority because somebody in authority abused their authority. For others of you, you hate seeing children laugh. You know why? Because somebody stole your childhood from you. And here's what I know. It shows up every time the person who hurt you succeeds. You get furious. This prison that you live in kind of shows up every time you blame them for the fact that you're not happy. And that's what makes a story Jesus told so powerful. See, we're in this series called Little Stories with Big Ideas. They're simply parables. They're little stories Jesus laid alongside of a, a big idea that he wanted to illustrate. Something familiar to illustrate something not so familiar. And the story I want to look at today is found in Matthew 18. So if you have a Bible, you want to maybe go there. But the story starts with a question. And the question was asked by Peter, and he said this. He said, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? And then he answers it kind of, sort of. He's really trying to brown-nose Jesus, really. He says up to seven times. Now, the reason I say that is the rabbis, right, they would have taught their pupils, you should forgive three times. And so Peter's like, hey, what if I times two plus one? Like, Jesus, how many times should I forgive? Seven? You know, it's a little better than three, right? Jesus has an interesting answer. He says, I tell you, not seven. Like, Wrong, right? He says, you're wrong, Peter. But he says 77 times, or some of your translations may have 70 times seven, right? And you're saying, which is it, 77 or 70 times seven? Here's what I think. I think if you're keeping count, you're missing the point. And the chances are, if you're keeping count, listen close, you're probably in this prison we're talking about, which led Jesus then to tell a story. And the story goes something like this. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven, which now you know per last week doesn't come like a bulldozer, it comes like a seed, right? Kingdom of heaven is like a king. And he wanted to settle his accounts with his servants. So he's going to settle up and uh, going to kind of get from them what they owe him. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold, literally 10,000 talents, was brought to him. And here's what I want you to know. This guy's brought to him and he owes 10,000 bags of gold or 10,000 talents. And for us, it's like that doesn't translate. But I can tell you this guy named Gordon Fee, he says this, The Bible scholar says this. He says that number 10,000 is as high as you could go in the Greek numerical system. Talent was the most you could go. He's trying to illustrate that this is an astronomical amount of money this guy owes zillions of dollars another writer wrote this he says take your salary times 150,000 and you're going to get close to what the amount is here i don't know what you make 20,000 40,000 60,000 go ahead and do that and your calculator is not going to be able to get it done right i did i did some of that and it's going to come up and it's going to give you something fun you like what does that mean right you see it's just an astronomical amount of money and so this guy standing before the king and he owes an astronomical amount of money which makes interesting what the guy does look what he does he wasn't able to pay well go figure right the master ordered that he and his wife and his children all that he had be sold to repay the debt at this the servant fell on his knees before him and then he says this be patient with me he begged and i'll pay back everything read that with. Be patient until I pay back 150,000 years worth of my salary. Isn't that interesting? There's no way he has the resource, the time to be able to do what he's saying. But even though servants master, what took pity on him and canceled the debt and let him go, Here's what I know. This guy doesn't have enough time, resource, or ability, and so the king has pity on him, compassion on him, and he does something so radical. This story is so radical, it almost defies logic. He cancels the debt. He grants him freedom from his debt, and Jesus is telling this little story to make a big idea, to make a point. In the story, the king is God. You probably have figured that out, and the servant is you and I. And the point, the big idea is simply this. You ought to write it down somewhere. True freedom. Some of you are in prison, but true freedom can only be experienced by accepting God's forgiveness. That's the point of this part of the story. That true freedom can only, and we got to identify ourselves in the story. There are a couple things this story helps us identify about us. First is this. I think the very first thing the story tells me is this, is that I, you, we owe more than we thought we did. You, you ever you ever get a bill and you're like, wow, I didn't know I owed that? Or better yet, you ever fill your grocery cart up? Like you just kind of going like filling it up and, and you're going to pay with cash. And so you took a certain amount of cash and you go up to the cash register. Do you ever have this happen to you? Like I've had this happen to me, right? And, and, and they run it all and then they say, hey, uh, that'll be... $60 and you brought 15 you know, like, and everybody in line behind you, right? You owed more than you thought. Or, or, or you ever get your taxes done and you're like, man, I think I'm going to get a refund only to find out that you owed a couple thousand dollars to the government. Never happened to you, right? You see, here's what I think. Most of us, if we're honest, spiritually speaking, if we're honest, we minimize our debt. Here's how we do it. We're like, I'm not that bad of a person. I'm a good person, Or at least I'm not as bad as so-and-so, and the Bible says this. Now, this doesn't sound like great news, that I'm worse than I imagined, that I owe more than I thought. That's the point Jesus is making. Romans 3 says it this way, no one is righteous, not even one. Everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. Here's what I know. The reason that I, you and I, minimize our sinful condition and the debt we owe, listen close, is I have too high a view of me and too low a view of God. And so that's why Jesus, when he tells this story, he exaggerates the sum of money to make a point. The debt is astronomical. And so the pathway to freedom for you and I is to come into honest agreement with God about the debt that we owe. Without an honest acknowledgement of my astronomical spiritual debt, I will not experience the freedom that God extends to me. Which leads to the second thing about experiencing freedom, and it's this. I need to stop working to pay off my debt. The guy comes and says, Please be patient with me and I'll pay back everything. And it seems humorous to us because there's no way he can pay back 150,000 years worth of wages. And I think that's the point Jesus is making. I think the point that Jesus is making is that it's just as humorous, maybe futile for us to think that we can pay God back. Our attempts to work off our spiritual debt are just as futile. We don't have enough time, resources, or righteousness to pay the debt. The thing that is blocking many of us from experiencing true and lasting freedom is that we say yes, amen to God's forgiveness, and then we spend the rest of our life trying to work to pay God back. And you can't, and you won't. But there's something interesting in the story that I owe more than I thought servant owed a astronomical amount couldn't work to pay it back I need to stop working to try to pay God back but somebody paid the debt the servant owed 10,000 talents that didn't just evaporate somebody paid the debt who paid the debt? well the one who absorbed the debt actually paid the debt the king It helps me realize something, that Jesus is the king in the story who absorbed all of my debt. This, my friends, is the gospel. The freedom of forgiveness is available because we have a king who became a servant to absorb the full price of our debt. He is, he was, and he will be the only one who has the collateral to do so. Ephesians 2 says it this way, for... You are saved by his grace when you say yes, believe. You can't take credit for it. It is a gift from God. Not a reward for the good things you've done so that none of us can boast about it. Here's this is the gospel. The gospel is about the freedom that we can have from God because Jesus paid our debt. I don't know what you're thinking. It sounds too good to be true, doesn't it? Sounds too good to be true. And it almost is. This is what puts the amazing in grace. This is what puts the good in the good news of the gospel. This is why, if, if, if you've ever been here to our campus, we sing songs like this. Think about this. These are not just songs like, hey, Aiden, pick a cool song for us to sing. This is why we sing, I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus, the Nazarene, and wonder how he could love me, a sinner, condemned unclean and then it says how marvelous how wonderful my song will ever be how marvelous how wonderful is my savior's love for me another verse goes he took my sin he paid my debt he took my sins and my sorrows and he made him his very own he bore the burden to calvary and suffered and died alone this is where true freedom begins accepting god's forgiveness that he absorbed my debt I ask you, have you accepted it? Have you experienced it? If you've never been honest about the debt that you owed, if you've never come to the place where you stopped trying to work to pay it off and just simply said yes to what he did to absorb the debt, chances are you're still in prison. The prison of your own debt. You can know this stuff and not experience it. You can know the facts about the story of Jesus and not experience the freedom of the forgiveness that he offers. Now, all of that makes the rest of the story very interesting to me. Let's read it and make some observation because Jesus is making a point. When that servant who just experienced that forgiveness, 10,000 talents worth, he found one of his fellow servants, owed him 100 silver coins, 100 denarii, literally. It had been 100 days wages. So it's no small amount, right? Don't read this wrong. It's no small amount. He owes him 100 days worth of wages, okay? He grabbed him, began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant, this sounds familiar, fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I'll pay it back. But what? He refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could, what? Pay the debt. Because I to say when the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged. I bet they were. Went and told their master, the one who forgave everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant and said, you wicked servant. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you in his anger his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed this is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or your sister from the heart what's the point remember this is a little story laid alongside of a big idea and i think the point jesus is making is this i will know that i am truly free When I extend forgiveness to others, the point of the story is about accepting God's forgiveness and experiencing true freedom. And I will know that I have experienced that freedom when I begin to extend that freedom of forgiveness to others. Only by extending forgiveness do I demonstrate that I've experienced the freedom of forgiveness. How in the world does that happen? I think there's three things. First is this I think we find in the story the servant's master took pity on him. So the servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. And I think there's something instructive here to us. The Greek word here is way more than he just, his heart went out to him. It's literally, he was moved so deeply that the pit of his stomach did something, right? I think it's instructive to us, and I think it helps us know how you and I can begin to experience freedom by extending forgiveness to others. And here's what I would write down somewhere. I think it begins by stop caricaturizing and start identifying with them. You deliberately identify with the person who hurt you. You remind yourself of how much you have in common. You know what it means to caricaturize? You know, you know what that means, right? You ever see somebody that drew drawings like that? You know what they do? They take a, a dimension, whatever that might be, and they exaggerate it. So if you've got a oversized nose, they make it really big. Or if your ears stick out a little bit, and if they're going to draw a caricature of you, they make them so they're like elephant ears, right? Or if you've got wild, big, curly hair like Pastor Aiden, right? Like they, Boom! They make a big old mop on your head. That's all a caricature is is you just take a dimension. Well, when someone hurts us, you know what we are tempted to do? We're tempted to what? Caricaturize them. We make them one-dimensional. You know how we do that? He lied to me. So guess what? He's a liar. And that's all we see. We All we can do is all we take whatever it is, and that is the only thing about them that we're able to see. I love what a theologian a croatian theologian said he said this forgiveness flounders because i exclude the enemy this is so powerful i exclude the enemy from the community of humans i don't make them human anymore even as i exclude myself from the community of sinners you see i think if we're going to extend forgiveness we're going to have to begin identifying with them like in the story We're going to have to stop making them one-dimensional and realize they're three-dimensional. I know they hurt you, but all of a sudden when we look at them, that's all we can see. But I think there's a second thing. I would write this down, that if we're going to extend forgiveness, we've got to stop insisting they pay a debt they cannot pay. Like in the story. He put the guy in prison. Did you read that? Like he went out and found the guy who owed him 100 days wages and he put him in prison until he could pay back what he owed. Think about that. How is he going to pay it back if he's in prison? He can't. There's no way. To cancel the debt is the heart of forgiveness. It means that I'm going to stop insisting they pay a debt they cannot pay. Some of you have put people in your life, your husband, your wife, your mom, your dad, your friend, your neighbor, in a prison and you're waiting for them to pay you back for lying to you, for hurting you, for betraying you, can I tell you something? You can't. You're not going to experience freedom that way. Listen, lean into the TV, the computer. He can't undo what he did. She can't take back what she said. No matter how much he does, no matter how much she does, it's not going to be enough. The only solution is for you to cancel the debt, to absorb the debt. The only power to accomplish this is the power of experience the forgiveness that you receive from God, the king, and extend that to others, which leads to the last thing. I need to absorb their debt and release them. so you can be free. So you can be free. I need to absorb their debt and release them, so you can be free. I need to quit demanding they pay and release them, let them go, and guess what? The minute that happens, something amazing happens. I am the one who walks out the door of the prison. That's what forgiveness does. That's what forgiveness does. When you and I refuse to forgive, the king in the story hands us over. He handed the guy over to be tortured. And for some of us, we're being tortured by anger, tortured by bitterness, tortured in this hellish prison of our own making. Some of you are watching this and you're tortured. You're just tortured in this prison of your own making. I encourage you today that accepting forgiveness and extending forgiveness is the only pathway for you to experience freedom? Some of you are saying, Dan, that sounds way too easy. I know. For some of you, you're going to have to grant forgiveness before you feel forgiveness. Say that again. For some of you, you're going to have to grant forgiveness before you feel forgiveness. For some of you, forgiveness is going to be an everyday choice. Here's what I know. When I act like a king, I end up in a prison. But when I recognize that Jesus is the king who became the servant to absorb my debt, it points me to freedom. Listen, you're saying how, when, forgiveness is never demanded by the offender, but always offered by the offended. Forgiveness is never demanded by the offender. You must forgive me. If you're doing that, that's not what forgiveness is. If if you're a husband and you've hurt your wife, Pastor Dan said, you must forgive me. It's never demanded by the offender, but it's a gift that's offered by the one who was offended. Forgiveness doesn't mean that it doesn't hurt. Forgiveness doesn't mean that it didn't matter. Forgiveness doesn't mean that you got to stay and accept being abused. Forgiveness doesn't mean that you're going to forget. Forgiveness doesn't mean that you even need to go back. Some of your bad situations that you got you escaped from. That's not what forgiveness is. But forgiveness, I love the way a lady named Anne Lamont said it. She said forgiveness means it finally becomes unimportant that you hit back. You're done. It doesn't, doesn't necessarily mean that you want to have lunch with the person who hurt you. But if you keep hitting back, you stay trapped in the nightmare. Or for the sake of today, maybe you stay locked up in the prison. Listen, I'm going to talk to you and gonna, then we're going to close. Forgiveness is not necessarily reconciliation. Now Listen close to what I'm saying. Forgiveness is walking out of the prison... Absorbing the debt, release them. It isn't necessarily reconciliation. But listen close. But in order for reconciliation to happen, forgiveness has to happen. Some of you are husbands and wives watching this. And reconciliation, for it to happen in your marriage, forgiveness. Some of you have friendships and you're like, I want to reconcile, forgiveness. Forgiveness. Forgiveness doesn't necessarily mean reconciliation. Some of you came out of abusive situations and and you've become bitter because you're waiting for that person to pay back and you want, and forgiveness is saying, I'm done, I'm walking out of that prison, but it doesn't necessarily mean I've become best friends with that person. Forgiveness is not necessarily reconciliation, but there is no reconciliation apart from forgiveness. Forgiveness means this. I will not be a prisoner anymore to what they did to me. I'll no longer be a slave to it. I'm not gonna let it define me. I'm gonna quit allowing that to be the thing that drives my life. I'll quit thinking the only that only what for me matters is to pay them back. And I'm gonna walk out of this prison into the freedom of forgiveness. Here's the deal. True freedom comes by accepting God's forgiveness. And I know that I have experienced true freedom when I extend forgiveness to others. Have you ever accepted God's forgiveness? You owe more than you think. Stop working to pay it back. It's astronomical. Recognize there's a king who became a servant. His name was Jesus to absorb your debt. Do you have people in your life who've hurt you? Well, the way to recognize that you've experienced that freedom is to stop caricaturizing them and start identifying with them. They're part of the community of sinners just like you. That's probably why they hurt you. Stop insisting they pay back a debt. it's not going to happen. You can't rewrite the history. Forgiveness is you absorbing the debt, releasing them so that you can walk into freedom. The only power for you to do that is the power of the forgiveness that you've accepted and received and experienced from God. So God, I pray that you would help us To experience, know, embrace this incredible, radical, astronomical, amazing forgiveness that you offer. And I pray when that settles into our life that it would spill out of our life. Some of us are in a prison. and God, I pray that this weekend, 4th of July weekend, would be the weekend where we experience the freedom of forgiveness.